Welcome in, folks. New edition of the Pop 6. It's been a minute. That's going to change. But there is a whole lot that is going on, and we have a new permanent co-host. I mentioned this on the Big Six a couple weeks ago. Brad Willis joins me because his pop culture sensibilities are so similar to mine that being able to have somebody to bounce the material off and vice versa makes for a better show quite frankly. It's a good thing, maybe? I think so. Okay. I certainly good. hope so. Yeah. And we did Friends, and we did uh, Marvel, and we had Red in, and we're still going to have some other people join us as well as it relates to everything that's going on. I already did a Stranger Things podcast on the first couple of seasons. As a matter of fact, that was the last edition of the Pop 6. If you uh, have that in your archive, you can go back and listen to it. So we're not going to spend a ton of time there. We're going to spend more of the time on what I didn't talk about at the time, which was season three and the main reason is because i didn't want to spoil that because it hit as that episode hit and well i'm not that guy <laughs> but one thing we are going to add to the pop six is talking about things that are current and are happening around pop culture that we care about and so before we get to stranger things let's talk about todd phillips and this joker movie that releases on october the 4th it's got a lot of hype and it's already got a lot of controversy Maybe Joaquin Phoenix is looking at an Oscar. There's a little bit of Oscar buzz behind the performance, but I think that the material that the film is presenting, just based on the climate in which we live politically and socially, is probably going to cost it a lot because I do not see Hollywood rewarding a film based on some of the critiques that I'm already seeing. We haven't had a screening here yet. Warner tends to do their screenings at the last minute, we haven't even gotten an invite yet. I keep looking every day like, okay, this is the one that I care about. Like I've gotten a few others that I'm not as interested in. This is one I know my audience wants to read, and it's definitely something that they want to hear us talk about. And it's probably, maybe with the exception, well, no, it's probably the most anticipated film for me for the rest of the year, and then The Rise of Skywalker. Those are probably the two that are left this year. And, I mean, I kind of want to see Tom Hanks play Mr. Rogers and yeah. some of those things as well. There's there's some other stuff, but this Joker film has my attention right now. Well, it's it's you know it's in the DC family, um, and and you know DC hasn't hasn't entirely delivered on everything that uh, lots of fans would have hoped, but this one has a different a different look to it. It has a different appeal to it. Uh, the, the the you know the conversation going around is that it is a standalone film that you know is basically exists in of nothing. I kind of have a hard time maybe believing that, but it's definitely unique. Oh yeah, and 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 the and that part of it I think is um, compelling. For as many people that really liked uh, Jared Leto's Joker and wanted to see more out of him, you know, coming out of Suicide Squad, that seems to have been kind of washed away. The question that has started to kind of rise now is. Will this Joker somehow play into larger a, universe, a larger Batman universe? And that looks to be Robert Pattinson's universe, which, of course, brought its own controversy because how dare you make Edward Cullen? Well, first off, <laughs> if you haven't watched Robert Pattinson and all you know of him is Twilight and uh, Kristen Stewart and all of that, that's not who this dude is. This dude's gone out and done some of the darkest stuff in all of Hollywood. One film that I saw, screening of an independent film he did about a year and a half ago, uh, I would never watch again because of how dark it was. Wow. And his performance was, was absolutely incredible. So I would calm down the hatred on Pattinson because I don't think you know what you're talking about. But this just reminds me of the second Star Trek film from J.J. Abrams in that, oh, it's not about Khan. It's not con. No way is it con. It's con. <laughs> it's like con. it's it's very much con. Todd Phillips has gone out of his way to talk about how this is about it's a psychological study about the factors that could lead someone to become a Joker like figure, not Batman's Joker. And I think that that rubbed me the wrong way until I started to think maybe he wants people to applaud in the theater at the end of this thing or however they want to try and tie this. Maybe they don't tie it in the movie, but they tie it in something that's coming afterwards, some teaser that reveals this as part. And look, if it's a standalone film, that's fine. I just wish it was not called Joker if it is. I don't need it to play off of that mythology. Just make it about some troubled whatever. Like, you can do all of what you're doing without calling it Joker. Calling it Joker, to me, intimates 
and plays off of something people want to see that you have to deliver on some some level. Based on things I'm reading, it sounds as though what we may be looking at is 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 basically an art house edition of a DC film. Mm-hmm. And and there are reports that at the Venice Film Festival it received an eight minute standing ovation. Uh, that's got to be from Phoenix's performance. Do you believe that? I mean, have you have you ever given a standing ovation longer than about ninety seconds? It starts to feel long at ninety seconds. It does. Eight minutes sounds insane. I, I mean, unless people are like coming out on stage yeah. and they're staggering it. But like, I've read that in multiple places that eight minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. When I see that, I ask that question. It's like, is it because of the performance? Is it because of kind of what it introduces? Is it because of the approach? I don't know. It's it's almost like Taxi Driver meets. I think Taxi Driver Joker. is. I think Taxi Driver is, is something that I have read elsewhere. Also, I'm not as huge a fan of that film as a lot of people are. I think maybe it was just by the time I saw it, it had been hyped up to a degree it was not going to be able to live up to, but. It's got to be the performance. Joaquin Phoenix is another guy you could see in that Heath Ledger mold, losing himself trying to play this character. I mean, we've seen him do this before. He's an right. aw- he's off. Like you talk about guys that are character actors. It's weird that a lot of them have been in the Batman universe, yeah, or guys that have like lost themselves in roles because Christian Bale in The Machinist lost like three hundred pounds. Like he he was like <laughs> emaciated by the time that film was to a bad degree, and he put on weight to be Dick Cheney in Vice and things to that degree. And, of course, we know Heath Ledger, that role pretty much killed him uh, and was, to me, the greatest performance I've ever seen in motion picture history. And so Joaquin Phoenix has a lot to live up to, but I've seen him play Johnny Cash, and I've seen him do things, Clay Pigeons even, way back in the day. Joaquin Phoenix is a hellaciously talented actor that is – very like Daniel Day-Lewis in the way he approaches the craft. Joaquin Phoenix played a twisted version of himself in real life for about six months. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, that's he, right. He lived it. You know, I want to go back to something you said, and I, if if this Joker is not the Joker, that's a big disappointment to Huge. me. That, I mean, then it's not Joker. It's It's just like twisted clown criminal guy. Yeah, and somebody replied to me when I put that on Twitter and said, yeah, well, I, we don't need another Batman film. I'm interested in seeing in this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, then don't cash in off the name. Like, if it's not right. about Joker, then that's fine. Like, I, you, you're right. Maybe we don't need another Batman film right now. We've got the animated series that just hit its anniversary. We're going to do an episode on that in a few months. Obviously, the Nolan films are not that old. I mean, there's still a lot of good Batman content out there. And there's Lego Batman, which if you didn't see, you should. Yes. Because it was very, very good. But... If you're not going to do that, then do a psychological study and create your own character. Even if it's very Joker-like, it doesn't matter. Just don't call it Joker because there is an expectation and there is a box office attraction to that name that if you're going to go there, then you need to at least go there 50%. I have no issue with more Batman films. Me either. I mean, I I love it. It's my favorite thing in all pop culture. It always has been. Start over however you want to handle it. You know, tell it from a you know, a young age and do all that and really dig in. I have no issue. Make all the Batman films you want because there's plenty of, of layers to that. Oh, yeah. That you're not going to, you're not going to chew up all the source material in one, in, in one movie. No. So make as many Batmans as you want. I'm just hopeful that if this is a standalone movie, two things have happened. One, this is the Joker. And that storyline is somehow resolved, even if he never interacts with Batman, per se. Or, if you do a Batman movie following this, you can't have another Joker right off the bat. Yeah. It's either this guy or Joker is not your he's not your antagonist moving I thought, forward. And I, thought, I thought that's where Nolan got it right originally, is the Joker being the tease for The Dark Knight at the end of Batman Begins after creating a universe with Ra's al Ghul and letting us see the origin of Batman before we even get to the Joker because he takes up too much space to be able to pull those two things off. And by the way, I just looked this up. Eight minutes standing ovation for Joker, if that's true. <laughs> it did not even win 
Best Picture, the Golden Lion Award at the Venice Film Festival. It was just nominated for it. So does that mean what one got a 30-minute standing ovation? <laughs> Must just be their thing, right? I'm not I'm not trying to joke about it, and no Do pun like intended applaud, with that. Applaud throughout the entire length of the credits? Yeah, exactly. Did they stand <laughs> up five minutes before the film ended and begin... Standing over there was was this like a roller coaster where you stand up the entire time? That's an interesting question. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there. The other thing that's weird about this is it's Todd Phillips. Yes, I'm sorry. That's just so weird to me that yep. he's making this. I, I kind of get it. He made War Dogs, and he you know he was a producer on a Star Is Born as well, which a lot of people don't know. But he and Bradley, Bradley Cooper are absolutely. super tight. But you think about Road Trip. Old school, Starsky, Starsky, easy for me to say, and Hutch, the Hangover trilogy. Mm-hmm. That's what he's known for. Right. He's known for he's, toilet comedy, but smart toilet and comedy. And he's known for putting himself in a cameo in every film where he basically plays the same drugged out looking character. Yeah, like the, terrifyingly yeah, creepy guy. Porn stash guy. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, I don't know if he did that in War Dogs because I actually did not see it. I don't know if this is just a shift in him, he said some things that make me think he's smarter than his films could be taken. Although, I liked Road Trip a lot when it came out. Old school's tremendous, if you can handle the content. The first Hangover is an all-time classic in the eyes of many. I think it's a little overrated compared to other things in the space. But if you look at all that he has done, I'm certainly willing to see what he's got with this and if he wants to go super dark somebody that is that way that then goes completely in the opposite direction sometimes goes too far right. in the opposite direction yeah and the critique that i am seeing from a couple of female reporters is that this is depicting like excuses for why someone becomes a mass murderer excuses for why someone beats women and treats women poorly and becomes all of these kinds of things and that this is not good, that it's not good to give people outs to like describe bad behavior, which I can understand to an extent. I also see an outrage culture in which, of course, this is how it's going to be seen. Todd Phillips has said, I haven't seen it yet, obviously, but Todd Phillips has said, look, we're not glorifying this right. by any means. You're not going to root for this guy. That's not the point. By the end of it, you are going to be very in favor of him being stopped. It's funny how the outrage police can oh, get yeah. going with before before they've even seen something. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, well. yeah, that's the thing. Like they have if they have not it's seen not drawn it. conclusions quite yet. Right. I don't know what it's going to depict. I also read like a Wired article, and maybe they had gotten a chance to see it, where they said that he was trying to show one thing about society, but in effect, he's glorifying it and all this. I just want to watch the movie. Yeah. If there's something to be said after it, we'll say it. But there's no. There's no point in adjudicating it when no one has seen it yet. Right. And some it, people have asked me, what did I think of Joker? I'm like, I'll let you know. Right. It's a little yeah. soon for that screening. It's almost like saying that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is glorifying Charles Manson. Yeah, you saw that, right? Yeah, I did. We talked about that, yes. right? Yeah. Maybe we just diverge and talk about this, too. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is really good. I enjoyed I it. thoroughly enjoyed that Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lot. Whether you buy into Stephen Hyden's magic cigarette theory or not. Yeah. I just think that's fun to think about. I don't necessarily buy it either, but it's fun to think about. So you and I are aware, but the, the magic cigarette theory is that basically in the movie, and, and let's see if we can avoid spoilers because there's probably a lot of people that haven't seen it, but after Brad Pitt's character smokes the, the acid-laced cigarette, yeah. everything that happens after that Didn't happen. is a complete hallucin- hallucination. Yeah. I, so, I kind of choose to believe that it's not. I, I do too. I think it's just the same thing as Inglorious Bastards was in terms of the way he rewrote history right. to favor that's what he to does. get rid of atrocities that's what he does and um you know and and frankly that one was pretty satisfying you know they, they all are really in in the sense of how they go about it but uh you know without giving away the ending of 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 once upon a time in hollywood it, you know there's it's loosely um it was his a, manson film around, it was his manson film correct and um and some people you know that were in the theater with me didn't even realize that going in because the marketing didn't exactly wave a big white flag and say, "Hey, this is this I is didn't. set oh. in the time period of no." Uh, the only Charles thing Manson. I knew was Sharon Tate, right? Because Margot Robbie attracted my attention to it, and sure. 
but I didn't know how but, deeply it was going to go. But then I'd forgotten that two years ago, Tarantino said his next film was going to be about the Manson family and about the Manson family murders. Funny enough, though, you don't realize that Sharon is Sharon Tate right. until about 40 minutes into the movie. Yes. Maybe longer. Yes. So, again, you know, the people that were somewhat, you know, unaware are still kind of blindsided. And you're really uneasy going into the final, you know, half hour of that movie because you now you've figured out, oh, yeah, Sharon Tate, Manson, this is not... It's probably not going to end well. It's not going to go well. Right. And so, um, yeah, so really, really enjoyed that movie. Would see it again. I will um, see it again at some yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. So DiCaprio and Pitt DiCaprio. are phenomenal together, and Leo's just tremendous and... I think they even mentioned that Tarantino's idea of using Sharon Tate juxtaposed with those two characters is to show who was replacing them, someone like that, and how cinema had changed and had passed them by, and as they were aging or as Leo's character was aging, it was the Sharon Tates of the world that mm. everyone was gravitating towards. also thought it was cool just to hang out in the 60s in California and, and all of that. He does a really good job with set design and, and all of those things, and you talk about nostalgia, and then there's Stranger Things. And Stranger Things is all about nostalgia. If it was not for the setting and the arcades and the movies that they talk about and all of that, it would be very ordinary. It's not that it would be terrible, but it would not be the phenomenon that it is. It could take place today. Absolutely. It could take place today and just change a handful of things with technology and what have you. And the you know the kids would be... You know, slightly different based on the things that are affecting them in life and what have you. But to place it in the 80s um, and in season three in, in July of 1985, you know, it, there, there are some things that, um, I don't know, it, it sucks you in. It's, it's, it, it is the nostalgia. It is. Because it's so much more than what's happening. There are things that you see that you can relate to or things that you see that maybe somehow you sense coming um, you know, where they're in the movie theater and Back to the Future is on the bill and all those kinds of things because it is July 4th weekend. I mean, that's the whole, that's basically more or less all of season three, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah it all takes place within a pretty short window of time. Yeah. Um, and the first two seasons, like, you caught up late. You watched it I all did. together. I did. I had watched each season and wrote on them as they came out, and you could read the Big Six blog reviews of every episode basically individually. I think I'm di I did them two at a time. So four different pieces, four or five thousand, no, more like seven, eight thousand words worth of material if you want that. It's an easy watch. Yeah, it is an easy watch. And it has created a star out of David Harbour who who is now doing other things. He's got another Netflix show starting. He and Keanu Reeves, they're basically saying it's their year in 2019. Keanu's had a, we know, a fantastic year between John Wick and Toy Story and being in cyberpunk next year and all the stuff that he's doing, which more power to him. He's awesome. And then David Harbour, this character from the first season that I don't know that we knew Chief Hopper was going to become what Chief Hopper became. It felt like it was about the kids, but then the adults became fun to be around. It was fun to be around Joyce. It was fun to be around Jim. It was fun to be around uh, Sean Astin's character as short. And this, I, I mentioned this in the other podcast and I wrote about this during season two. The interesting thing to me about Stranger Things, and it is absolutely true in season three, is that characters that you assume when you first meet them, you're supposed to hate that they're villains. Steve, for example. Steve is a prime example. They aren't. It's like you get, oh, he's the jock. No, he turns out to be the exact opposite after the fact. And then Bob Newby gets in the way of the relationship that you want to see between Joyce Byers and Jim Hopper. Yep. And so you're like, okay, well, how are they going to make him nefarious and all these things? No, he's just a good dude. Even yeah. Jim Hopper doesn't all the way dislike the him by the end of that. He never turns. There is a redemption and a positive message about virtually every character that you meet. I mean, Billy is Billy. Yeah, Billy. Billy's not. Billy never changes. Yeah, he's he's nefarious. Yeah, he's bad. Matthew Modine's character, bad guy. Bad guy. Yeah. Outside of that, though. Not a whole lot of like pure evil. No. Now the the newspaper guys were Jake Busey and yeah, well yeah, they were complete. They tools. had to be. Yeah, that was a yeah treatise on how women used to be treated in journalism and all in 1985, and some even today. Yeah, unfortunately, in some certain circumstances. Yes. Um, I you know the thing that I am curious about, and you mentioned it because uh, the children are the are the main focus 
uh, as you start. But it seemed that by season three, the adults were were a little bit more uh, in focus there. I wonder how they approach it moving forward, considering that by the time season four gets off the ground and they're shooting footage with the these kids aren't kids anymore. Yeah, and that that becomes a problem with sitcoms and everything else. Like as the Your kids grow up, the yeah. show changes. Unless yeah. you have, that's why everybody loves Raymond worked. Yeah, because they said in the opening credits for the first two or three years when Ray Romano was, "Hey, it's my wife, and here's my family, and all this kind of stuff." And he's like, "And these are my three kids," and he's like, "It's not really about the kids." Right. He says that straight to the camera, like yeah. it's not going to matter when they get older because they're just going to be tertiary to what's going on. Yeah. It's about the adults in the family because they're not going to change. The Simpsons, absolutely. Children have never aged. Yes, you know it's it's and and it works. It, it does. works because that that time frame in your life when when it's frozen in time and you can just kind of tell that story on and on forever. You know, that, that some of the best storytelling is right there. Yeah. If you can have kids and they can be important, but the adults have to be really well-crafted around them or the show is going to suffer. Every, I mean, Family Matters fell apart, well, basically. I mean, those kinds of shows that were so reliant on the Urkels of the world and things of that nature. So here, here's here's where it is with sitcoms. As soon as the kids get old enough, to where you have to run the promo that says tonight on a very special yeah. family matters. Whether or not he's like gotten he's, he's gotten drunk at a party, yeah. he's taken a drug, he right. has had premarital sex, all of these, all things. of that kind of stuff. The show's just over. Yeah, forget it. It is because we've lost what made it special. Right. Yeah. So there's almost like a shelf life for most of these shows, and it's why you look at The Office or Friends or some of those shows, and they have longer runs that are good. Because they aren't reliant on characters that change so dramatically. Well, you, you use Friends. We broke down Friends yes. very early on in this podcast. So you've got Ben, who lived with his mother. Right. So you never see him. Right. Never really a thing. If right. a new kid shows up playing Ben next week, you don't care. Then you have Emma. Who who, who watched Emma, by the way? She yeah. was never there. Right. I mean, she was always gone. Right. Again, the parts of the story that, much like everybody loves Raymond, just not important. Yeah, I mean, think about the Cosby show. I know that's a tough subject these days, but when Rudy was young yeah. and Vanessa was young and Denise had not gone nuts and Theo was just a D student and all this kind of stuff, like when Malcolm Jamal Warner's character became like a adjunct professor and all of that <laughs> stuff later on, like it's not that that wasn't good, and I like to see the growth and the evolution of, that, of the Theo character, but... I also like Theo and Cockroach acting like jerks for four years. Well, and the reason that you have to put Theo in that situation is Theo's a you know twenty five year old man now, right? So, so think about season one. Dustin on Stranger Things was awesome. He's got the Gatton Matarazzo has the greatest eighties look of all time really with does. the hair and the yes. hat and the, the. He was great in season one. He's my favorite character in season one. Season two, he was a moron because he led to Dart becoming dark that's and right. causing all those problems that's right. yes and in season three just whined and whined and whined at least the first half and then they started to shift back with the erica character and sort of making him rootable again when Susie turned out to be real and not fictitious another moment where you assume just like you assume steve and you assume all these things about bob newbie you assume dustin's making this up right and because of that i immediately thought and even wrote i said you know what she's probably real because this show doesn't generally do that kind of storyline. Yeah. The one thing I, I didn't care for with season three that I was, I mean, obviously the, the whole point is to resolve it near the end, but the main group really became fractured. Yeah. They were telling two different stories in two or three different places that the, the main group just wasn't together anymore. Well, it's like they were going to reform Voltron at the end of the season. Like, yes. they're trying to find a way to keep them apart yes. because when they're all together, they're going to succeed is kind of how it's framed. And then in season two, they kind of tried to keep Elle in a weird place away from they what did. she could do. And they sent her to Chicago and what was just an awful, awful episode of television that never should have happened. Yeah, I we'll come back to that. Season one, Will Byers. Yes. You know, he goes through what he goes through. He comes out of it. And season two, he's right back in it. Yep. And then here comes season three because he's he's back to being good old Will Byers again. But now every time something happens, like the hair on the back of his neck stands up. And there were a couple of episodes into season three where I'm like, good Lord, can we just get away from Will Byers being the victim? How about kill him? 
one of the kids got to die at some point, right? Is it going to be that much of a That's happy ending? dark. I mean, I don't know. Let the let the Demogorgon come out through his mouth and, like, that yeah. becomes him, like, a, using Will Byers' as skin for the last two years. <laughs> like, something. Like that, Edgar in Men in Black. Yeah, something. <laughs> that's, that's quite a reference. He's but, a huge bug. Yeah. But I think the biggest question everybody has coming out of this, first off, did you like the Russia storyline in season three? It felt very 80s. It, it, it worked for the time. Yes. It worked for the time period. And and it was interesting in that they led you to believe, spoiler alerts coming here, they led you to believe that all of this Russian activity was happening in Russia. Right. When in fact it was happening right in front of them, right under their noses right. in the Starcourt Mall. Yeah. Then only to get to the end of the season, and again, spoiler alert, it's also happening in Russia. Yes. Um, I like the sleight of hand there. From what you thought was happening to what you see is happening. But I, I didn't love it, but it worked. It's it's one of those things, it, it worked. But uh, it worked, but it seemed too busy. It was busy. It and was that's probably extremely the, busy. That's probably the biggest misgiving I have with it. And it probably existed to help keep that group fractured because you had the two stories. That was able to keep half of them apart from the others and keep half of them underground and half of them here. And, I mean, it was fun. It was exhausting, maybe more so than the first two seasons had been, just in terms of everything that was going on. And I do think that it paid off in the end with the cliffhanger at the end of the season. And then the big question everyone has, which, look, if you listen to this, we assume you've seen this. But if you haven't, I don't know what to tell you at this point. Spoiler alert. Yes. Is Jim Hopper dead? Or did he go through? It's a great question. Um, so he can't be dead, right? I mean, Harbor's doing another show for Netflix. I find it hard to believe that they would have killed him off. I continue to think that because we didn't see a body, because we didn't see a funeral, because we just saw a random news report, which the news is not supposed to know what's going on anyway. No, they really been... all only the viewers and the people directly involved are supposed to know what's happening here uh, that fact and then the way that they played what happened midway through the credits yes in the russian prison where they where you realize someone is in prison there that is from america right has to be him you know well let's say this all the russians referred to him as the american yes in you know in real time when things were happening and so as the scene is playing out in Russia post credits, they do reference the American. Right. So logistically you could you know logically rather, you could say that could be him. Yeah. I choose to believe that it is, but at the same time they I mean it could be a throw a off thing. Yeah. yeah, it could be something completely different. I just think about it of L doesn't have powers now at least for the time being. The fourth season is probably largely going to be about her trying to recover those powers against a time that's going to be more dangerous than any other in terms of whatever the monsters are and whatever else. And I feel like Hopper going through, if if indeed he survived and went through the beam and went through that gate, went through the upside down and probably spent a good amount of time in there to get where he had to go, that maybe he comes out the other end not as human as he was before. And that at some point, L tries to fire her powers, doesn't. Powers come from nowhere. You don't know what it is, and it turns out to be Hopper. Interesting. That was the only thing. I don't know that they'll do that, but that's, I think that'd be a real crowd-pleasing kind of moment to see that Jim Hopper is now more than just adopted father. Mm -hmm. He's going to be able to understand her a lot better because he now has powers because of what he just went through. He, as an actor, really, really grew on me. Oh, yeah. From start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just believable. He just is. a real dude. Like, at first I thought, oh, okay. Just another guy that you think, oh, he's a drunk, probably, you know, abuses people and all this kind No, not really. He's a guy that's depressed and sad because his personal life hasn't been good. And then he wants Joyce, obviously. And he does the Magnum P.I. thing in season three with the Hawaiian shirt and... <laughs> But uh, he has grown a lot, but he's just he's just kind of a regular guy dealing with 
scumbags like Kerry Elways, who is very good in this season. And the other guy that continues to be great is Brett Gelman. The Murray Bauman character in seasons two and three, and especially in three when it's him and I guess it's Alexi is his name. Yes. That stuff's hilarious to me. When those four, when it's Joyce and Jim and Alexi and Murray Bauman, that stuff to me is gold. I also was not surprised at all when Alexi got offed. Then there is another piece of nostalgia, which is how much of Grigory is Arnold Schwarzenegger or Robert Patrick from The Terminator, because that's how it felt every time he would appear and how he would walk and how he would move and how he would not be able to be killed for some reason, it seemed like. Yep. But he was. it was almost like I was waiting for him to hold up a photo and say, have you seen this boy? Right, yeah. He had the look. I mean, and frankly, he was kind of carved the same way, you yeah. know, and just as 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 he was you're right he he came off as very indestructible yeah and i think that i think that is the point yeah because why would it not be everything else about this thing is nostalgia also thank goodness that they went and saw back to the future at the end of this thing because at the first they're sitting there going to the george romero zombie film and i see the back to the future poster and i want to like reach through and say i hope a demogorgon eats your face (laughs) off for bad pop culture judgment i thought okay so first of all it's july 4th in their storyline and i see the back to the future poster on the on the wall there at the 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 multiplex and the first thing i thought was hey good on you because back to the future was released july 3rd 1985 and i thought that's just smart yes that's just smart and then later in the season when they actually go into the theater and back to the future is playing and there are even parts where they're kind of on walkie-talkies and talking back and forth and you can still hear the movie in the, the background. The music's playing yes. in the background. It's almost like it's part of that scene. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and as someone who absolutely adores Back to the Future, both of us, I would go back and just watch that scene over and over just because I I love any Did you see Total Aside? Did you see um Teen Titans go to the movies? Yes. Great Back to the Future reference yes. in Teen Titans go to the movies. Just yes. put a smile on my face. Anything like that that decides to give Back to the Future a little bit of a nod, I'm all about. So I was really glad that they that they went that route. It was pretty good times at the movies the weekend of July 4th, 1985 at the Starcourt Mall because also on was Fletch, which is another one of my right. all-time favorite movies. And Daryl, which you may remember as D period, A period, R period, Y period, L period. And then the George Romero, I guess it was Day of the Dead. I can't, I can't remember exactly which one it was. But I can remember most of those films being on at that point in time. I wouldn't have noticed Fletch, I don't think, when I was seven years old. Yeah. Back to the Future and what I lied to my mom and told her I wanted to go see. And then we went to a theater that had both so I could just say, hey, my best friend Ricky saw Back to the Future with his mom and it was okay. Can we go see it? Said it was really good. First PG-13 movie I ever saw. And... Black Cauldron is what it's like a Disney film that we were there to go see and I talked her into it and afterwards she's like okay I'm glad you talked me into that that was good even my mom liked Back to the Future what's not to like it's a perfect script it really is it's gonna be I don't know a pop six in which it's gonna be a lot of gushing because there's not much else to do when it relates to that but when you sat down to watch Stranger Things and now that you've finished three seasons of it in relatively short time and a lot later than most people saw it, mm-hmm. what was your expectation going in and what did you have coming out? You know, it's funny. I, I, it's one of those things that I, when I sat down to watch it, I actually couldn't remember why I never sat down to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went in with almost zero expectations, except that everybody that I talked to, you included, had said, it's, it's, this is really good. And so the biggest thing that I wanted to do was give it a couple of episodes, and it, it really didn't even take that. Um, by the end of the first episode, and and Will Byers has disappeared, um, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm in. And, and you know, it's one of those things, much much like I really enjoyed Lost, um, once, you, once you kind of dangle that carrot out there that there's a, a mystery and we're going to try to solve it, all right. And especially if the characters are really likable, which they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of left with the really disappointment myself that I'd just gotten around to watching it because uh, there are so many conversations that kind of took place that I just excused myself from because I thought, well, at some point I think I may watch this. I really don't want to spoil yeah, right. it. Yeah, of course. 
Um, and so now I'm like talking to people about it. And what do you think? And they're like, I don't know. I watched that forever ago, you know, yeah. except this season. Um, so I'm really glad I gave it the chance. I, I'm really not entirely sure why I hadn't before. What's the biggest reference? Like if you had, like when I think of this, you can look at the bikes and think of ET Yep. and you can look at, you can feel Spielberg, yes. you know, sitting around that moment. Yep. You know, and then you can look at like the thing and some mm-hmm. of those elements, and of course the monsters and like the way in which those are approached to me are the things that felt so over the top about eighties movies when they seem to just go too far. Gremlins it's just like, what is and, going yeah, on here? Like, right. Why did this need to happen? This was fun, and now it's like a little bit much for me. Yeah, Gremlins, I think, is another really good uh, example of one of the things that that stands out. This film, if I had to just pick one reference Mm -hmm. or one thing that i feel like it reminds me of it reminds me of a younger stand by me yeah with the young boys kind of coming of age through all of these other circumstances that are going around and it's stephen king's there's a little bit of supernatural elements sort of surrounding it that's i i think of some mix between et and stand by me i'd say that's very apropos I'm not sure I'd find a better example, but it it does have a very Spielbergian quality to it. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I think Reminds one of the Super Eight. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that when you're talking about just the the '80s type gore and 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 violence, if you want to use that word, I think one of the reasons that it is so over the top is because if it were underplayed, then it would almost be too realistic. Oh, it would, would be. There's yeah. no question that it makes it easier to deal with because it's so preposterously Absolutely. ridiculous. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, it's funny. I've got a 10-year-old, and uh, he's got friends that have watched it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I wanted to watch it first is, you know, just kind of gauge. Yeah. And and there were too many, in my mind, there were, there were too many. There's some frights. Lang- in, yeah, yeah, there are too many frights. It's too there much language. language. Too many kind of uh, themes that were just a little above his head. I ultimately decided against letting him watch it right now, but I ended up getting sucked in, right. you know? And so then he would come upstairs, what are you watching, Stranger Things? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, can you watch it? And I'm like, no. Yeah. But it's good. I'm watching, you know? <laughs> watching, House, of, I'm watching House of Cards. Go downstairs. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe you can enjoy it in five years. Yeah. I mean, when people ask me if kids should see it, I would say just because of the imagery and the themes, a lot of it you're just going to miss until you're a teenager, probably. Absolutely. At that point, you're going to hear worse at school, and your teachers are going to be teaching you things that would make it more relevant. I think once you hit that 13-ish mode, it's fine. I I think a lot of times we see things and we hear references that we know. Right. And we assume that that registers with a child in the same way. I probably overreact on those kinds of things. But at the same time, I remember being a kid and watching Three's Company. Mm-hmm. And it never, we didn't have any clue what we were watching. Though. I had no idea as a child that Jack Tripper was purporting to be gay so that he could live with these two women. Yes. Because his landlord wouldn't allow it otherwise. Right. Never registered with me. Right. And I'm certain that there would be things in Stranger Things that I hear and I see and I wince at thinking, oh, my son's going to hear this and know what that means. That would just fly right over his head. And But at the same time, it's, it's just, you know, there were two. Now, every, child, every child's different. You know, like some children don't get frightened at those kinds of things. And some, some kids are just already exposed to language and it's just like not a thing and, you know, or what have you. But. Uh, you know, I just kind of ultimately decided he wasn't quite ready for it yet, but it was right in my wheelhouse, yeah. um, you know, which was fun. Yeah. At 10, I'm trying to think if I would have wanted to see it. He seems to think that he does, but I think it's because he's got well, friends. You, you always think you want to. Right. <laughs> not a lot, not, not a lot scares that kid. He, he likes all the Marvel movies and even the things in those that would be, you know, potentially frightening to some. I've never really bothered him. He was more bothered when we saw Shazam and the mm. mom abandoned Billy oh, Batson in the yeah. in the uh in Ward. The, yeah, in the theme park yeah. or in the uh, oh, yeah, county it's a fair. To it. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. He was more bothered by that. Well, that's real. Well, yeah. That I could, mean, that, that makes could... you, that's something that a child doesn't want to think about. Yep. 
the fact that their parents might not be around in yeah. some in any capacity for any reason, especially voluntarily. Right. Yeah. Because you can't understand the motivations at 10. No. Like there was a reason why she was doing it. Not that I think that that's a good reason for anything, but Shazam's a good movie. <laughs> Shazam was a pretty I, good movie. It was. It didn't take itself too seriously, but I, I enjoyed it. I didn't see it the second time. I only saw it in theater. Yeah, screening. I saw it in theater. And I, I kind of intend to see it again, but I, I haven't yet. Yeah. So Stranger Things is, it's worth the time. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's it's total fiction. It's just all out. And it's, I mean, it's nerd to the max. There's Dungeons and Dragons and there's references to D&D all the way through it. That was not my scene as a kid. That's not what I did. I think there was there was some panic about Satanism surrounding Dungeons and Dragons and things like that when I was a kid. Really? Which kept us away from those and kept us away from Ouija boards and things of that degree. I, I do. I look back and I was just like, yeah, there were a lot of, I read articles about how devil worshipers used to play Dungeons and Dragons and that's what led them down all these pathways. There was a satanic panic in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very real, which yeah. is depicted in some TV shows and films now to try and explain it. True Detective actually went down that pathway. That's right. As a matter of fact. So I think maybe that's why. And I, I, I played like twice when I was like 17 with a group of people that I worked with that played it all the time. I got it. I was like, okay, cool. You sit around for 10 hours and you work through this thing. 10 hours, first of all. And, I mean, there were some nerd things that I was into, but this one was a little bit much. Like, here comes a coagulated cube at you. What are you going to do? I'm going to go play basketball. Yeah. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend, one of my best friends in the world, and he loves Dungeons & Dragons. And he's tried on multiple occasions to – suck me in and mm-hmm. try to show me like this is a great fun thing and i simply cannot get my head around it at all like and you know there's some things that like when you just don't get it like, my son for example loves pokemon cards right yeah. now and he'll show me a pokemon card and i'll be like oh that's cool and he'll show me another one that's completely different but when i look at it because i don't know what's going on i'm like eh, it just looks like the same thing to me it's just mm-hmm. some silly stupid looking character right i'm not a pokemon guy clearly right right. but i think it's just because i've never been immersed in it enough to look at it and say okay i see the variation on this or i see why this is cool or i get it and i've played a few of the games and they're fun but i mean i grew up on baseball cards not on those right it's just a different it's just a different mentality a different generation from I used to sell Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a GameStop manager, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was selling at the yeah. time. It's just like, okay, Pikachu, here you go. Yeah. Glad a, you want to come in here and buy this. Here's a Jigglypuff card. <laughs> Enjoy. We'll see you later. <laughs> They're going to put out four new games. They're going to have different colors, and each one's going to have one different character and you're going to beg your parents to spend an extra $40 on this, <laughs> and they're going to come in, and they're going to hate me yeah, that's exactly. for this reason I'm right living here. that right now. Yeah. Like you're buying worthless cards. I'm probably a couple of years away from needing to know all these things, but I've heard of Baby Shark recently and some of this stuff. <laughs> Abby's already told me we're not going to allow Baby Shark. And her, that's what her, you say. Her being a pediatrician, she's kind of has to know about oh, yeah. Peppa Pig and sure. all of this stuff. Yeah. Hopefully she's going to be able to lure a lot the of children st- away. A lot of stuff that I said I'd never do. Ten years later, I've made a hypocrite of myself yeah. many times. Well, I'm hopefully that's not going to be the case. On, <laughs> on the way out, we since we haven't done this uh, this way at all, Spider-Man. Yeah. Not as a part of the MCU and Tom Holland and all of those things. I'm not entirely sure it's totally a bad thing. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. Phase four is going to be a giant departure um, yeah. for for Marvel. A lot of TV and a lot of characters that aren't Which I can't household wait names. For. I'm either. in. I haven't done the Disney Plus thing yet, but yeah. the day I get, you know, like the day it's like tangible and I can get it, I'm getting Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to the Mandalorian and I'm looking forward to, you know, the the Winter Soldier and oh, yeah. all those kinds of things. Um Yes, so the you know the thing about it is I'm not entirely sure that Spider-Man kind of starting to exist in his own universe isn't uh, a terrible thing. Now, 
could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends on who's behind the project. Well, it depends on who's behind the project. But the question becomes, where do you want Spider-Man to go now? And and is Spider-Man, Spider-Man still being a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it's happening over here, if you will, with like Phase 4? You know, is he going to be involved with the Immortals? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be involved with Guardians of the Galaxy? Is he going to? No, not really. It sounds as though that most things are either going to be new, or a Guardians of the Galaxy or a Thor or something like that is going to end up off planet, not where he is. He's going to be in New York, being your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Who now, by the way, spoiler alert, everybody seems to know who he is. Right. That to me is the story, and I don't know that he necessarily needs to go find. Doctor Strange to be able to further that story if Venom ends up, you know, alongside or against or whatever that ends up being. I think there may be enough in place now because you have an established Peter Parker. Right. And an an established MJ and all those things that if the right people are involved, it could be okay. Yeah. I guess that's the question is who is going to be involved and we never really got to see J.K. Simmons in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We only saw it during that little teaser in the Far From Home credits, right. basically. But does he belong with anything except Spider-Man anyway? No, not at all. I mean, really, that character exists. The reason why you do that is they were trying to make a statement. There was no question about that with what they were doing with Alex Jones and everything else. But they sure. also were trying to play off the video game right? from last fall. Very much. And I get it. Like, I, I get why you would do that. That game was very successful. I played all the first three DLCs through and then had about enough after playing through and getting my first ever platinum trophy or whatever it's called. Here's the question that I don't know the answer to. Favreau. Yeah. Marissa Tomei. Yeah. Do we lose them? I don't as know. characters? You might lose Marissa Tomei, but Favreau's still got a tie to S.H.I.E.L.D., I understand I understand that but the question becomes is is he employable by Sony Oh yeah I mean that's true like would that relationship just die off Correct. That they basically just tried to set up in that last movie with Happy and 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 I'm not sure entire you know how the the contracts are written or all that like who employs Favreau for a Spider-Man movie when it's a joint venture is that Marvel or is that Sony Feels and like it'd be Marvel, doesn't it? You would think because, you know, he's only been in everything else that's Marvel. And he's written, right, whatever, I guess the first two Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Is those the ones that he wrote? Yeah. He could take Iron Man 2 back. but Yeah. I was disappointed in that film. What's better, Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3? I mean, 3 had the kid, which was a little obnoxious. That's, I liked yeah. 3 better than 2 because 2 was just like Tony Stark learned at the end of Iron Man 1 why he was wrong. And then in Iron Man 2, he went back to being wrong. Iron Man 2 gave us Black Widow. That's true. I mean, I liked the villains, too. I mean, I liked Mickey Rourke, and yeah. I enjoyed the villains of that film. I didn't like that Tony Stark seemed to regress from the story that they told throughout the first movie. I thought it was just like they redid the same jerkwad character yeah. as opposed to letting him continue along the pathway. I read this week that there's a chance that Robert Downey Jr. reprises the role as a voiceover hmm. in an Ironheart series. All right. I guess that will we'll wait and see. But my theory on that is what if that's the kid that hmm. was in Iron Man 3 who kind of – because, I mean, he was obviously smart enough to kind of build and do all that, and that the that his Jarvis, that his personal Jarvis – would be the voice of of Tony Stark. Sony has done what that we like, comic wise. Spider Man Two, yeah. Spider Man Two into the Spider Verse, technically. Yeah, into the Spider Verse is totally Sony. Um, I hated Venom. Never saw Venom. I just I just never gave it the time of day. Couldn't care less. I went to the screener and just didn't do it for me. I yeah. know some people thought the opposite. They're entitled to that. Now, if if that if that character ends up being a part of the Spider-Man universe, I'll I'll go back and and rewatch that. But X-Men films, yeah, I mean in the early going, two was good. Were, the, were those Sony or were those 20th Century Fox? It may have been 20th Century Fox. They're, they 
the fact that they're all spread out and it's Marvel characters is hard to even remember. You, I think you're right. It was Fox. You want to know what's even more twisted? And I know we're almost out of time. Yep. But they're getting ready to start a uh, basically an Avengers land at Disneyland, mm-hmm. right? So Disney owns the Marvel characters for the purposes of theme parks west of the Mississippi. Yeah, that's so weird. But east of the Mississippi, Universal owns those characters yeah. for the rights to theme parks. Yeah. Which means that when you go to Walt Disney World, there is no real uh, Avengers, you know, because those are islands of adventure at Universal yeah. because of some weird ownership line that is the Mississippi River. Yeah, my head hurts. This is, this is <laughs> Todd Phillips could have used this as a reason why the Joker became the Joker. <laughs> the last five minutes of my life, like trying to, trying to work through, like, this is how Joaquin Phoenix... <laughs> Became this is how I became Joker in yeah. this building. You're gonna start seeing me with face paint walking around <laughs> here, like lighting offices on fire oh, or something no. like that. So I gave you Batman the animated series, my old DVDs. Yeah, thank you so much. And you're gonna enjoy those, and they still hold up. And we're gonna talk about them at some point in a couple of months when you have worked through them, and I'm working back through them right now. Uh, the other responsibility you're gonna have at some point is Harry Potter. Like this has to stop. Yeah, we're gonna do a bag of shame episode. That can't be in your bag of shame. It just can't be. You want to know one that I took out of the bag of shame just this week? Top Gun. You've never seen Top Gun? I never start to finish. It's pretty good. I I don't have any interest in the new one. I do now. I guess maybe I should go back and watch it. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like these cash-ins are... In the last last month, I've watched Rocky and Top Gun. Two movies that, if you if you know me, you'd probably assumed yeah. that I'd watched already. I hadn't, but I have now. And we, I already know what you think of Rocky because we talked about it. Maybe we'll talk about it in long form at, yeah. at some point. I was in Philadelphia this past week. Couldn't get to the Rocky statue because they had everything shut down for Labor Day with this big parade and concert and all this kind of stuff. So I was unable to take the obligatory punch shot. So I'm going to have to go back to Philadelphia just to take that photo. I started watching that on the flight to Philadelphia for nice. Titans Eagles. Nice. It was all I could do to get through the first hour on the plane. Is, the only, is that the only one you saw the first one? Yeah. Okay, well, there's a few others maybe you should give a shot to. <laughs> Perhaps. We'll talk Rocky at some point. All right, Brad. We will convene again next week. Sounds good. All right. Pop 6. You can follow me at jmartzone. Follow the station at 104.5 The Zone. Download all the podcasts. I wish I knew all the name of them. I think Will Bowling is now hosting 17. (laughs) Every time I look up, it's my new this podcast. I'm like, boy, you're an enterprising young man, aren't you? (laughs) Well done. He's got time on his hands. He does. He's doing a fantastic job as well. And he's helping me produce this as well as a quick six, which you will be able to hear every Monday morning. My reactions to football because I like football and I want to talk about it. And I don't want to have to wait until the middle of the week to do it. And you want to hear it. So we're going to have that for you every Monday morning as well. All right. For Brad, I'm Jason. We'll see you.